0: The following podcast is brought to you by W.R.G.W. District Radio.
1: You, you didn't have to run away from me. I'm the bio that shows up on your TV. What these four had to endure bewilders me. So you wish you hadn't put me on your screen i'm the worst of men you don't want to meet does it get a little hard to condemn me no these shows were got
2: Hello, and welcome to One Season Wonder, where my esteemed colleagues and I discuss the failed TV projects that never quite made it to season two.
1: I'm Kyle. I'm Adam. I'm Jack. And I'm Joseph. Today we will be discussing How to Be a Gentleman, a 2011 three-camera sitcom airing on CBS in which Andrew, a nerdy self-described gentleman, learns how to be more quote-unquote manly and less of a gentleman from his new roommate and personal trainer and his old high school bully, Bert. So. These are the characters. Andrew, the uptight magazine columnist
3: with a strict moral code about being a gentleman. Bert, his meat-headed and womanizing new friend and also high school bully. Janet, his apathetic sister. Mike, his wacky New Zealand brother-in-law. Diane, his kindly mother. And Jerry, his spineless editor and not really part of the show. The show was created by, written by, and starred David Hornsby,
2: who's best known as the down-on-his-luck former priest Rickety Cricket on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Pamela Fryman, who is executive producer for How I Met Your Mother, and Fred Savage of Wonder Years fame, both directed several episodes.
0: The show has a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. It spent two episodes on Thursday Night Primetime, immediately following The Big Bang Theory but bombed so bad that it was moved to a Saturday time slot, where the rest of the season was left to rot. So, what did y'all think of the show?
2: So, the show did not work. At all. Almost all of the humor was flat. Literally all of the characters were flat. There was no general sense of purpose behind it all, and there was this problematic undertone throughout the whole thing that weighed it down even when it wasn't right in your face.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I also thought that another weak point of the show was the acting. And while there were like one or two funny jokes per episode, the humor really fell flat. Another place I thought the show fell flat was with the characters, like you said, with the exception of Mike the Kiwi, the um, brother-in-law. Everyone else were basically all scumbags. I couldn't bring myself to root for any of them, and I didn't think I was supposed to.
1: I completely agree. Especially because I felt like we were supposed to root for the characters, even though they were scumbags. This show made me feel nauseous and upset, and I did not enjoy a single joke.
3: Yeah, it was It was such a gross show. It's so filled with incredibly problematic things, and it constantly seems so close to, like, it wanted to make, like, oh, a good point about something, but then it just didn't and yeah. just failed horribly. And it was just hard to watch. So
2: our consensus is that the show was uh, pretty problematic, and it wasn't always clear whether that was the intention of the writing or at the very least the misintention of the writing, or how much of it was an issue of interpretation or of execution.
1: This might get heavy, so strap in, folks. It starts with the pilot. The A-plot of the first episode is nothing special, but the B-plot is awful. Mike is desperate for attention because his wife, Janet, is going out to dinner that night with Craig, a friend from work. Andrew insists she shouldn't do that, but she says, and I quote, it's just two friends who like to get together and gossip about their coworkers. Later that night, Andrew catches them at dinner, laughing at a joke, and sees fit to step in and say, what are you doing? You have a husband who loves you. Janet points out that her husband Mike is 10 feet away, having come with them to watch over her. Andrew walks over to Mike to talk and suggests Janet may just be trying to get a rise out of him, even though there has been no indication of any kind of unfaithfulness. At the end of the episode, Mike walks in and says he slapped Craig across the face and that Janet rewarded him for it in bed, again, This was the pilot for the show which was picked up by The Network, in which Mike uses violence to prevent his wife from consorting with a male friend. And also, by episode four, Andrew is now roommates with Bert, you know,
3: the the macho high school bully that's trying to make him a man. And in that episode, Bert sleeps with a woman named Candace and brings her home. He then leaves before she wakes up, and Andrew invites her to stay and have breakfast. As Andrew puts it before learning the lesson of the episode, Candace is someone I hang out with. We're friends. You know, we go to museums and movies. Like friends do. His boss then points out to him that Bert is sleeping with her and that this is unfair. Andrew, having a friend who he is shown to enjoy spending time with, is doing the quote-unquote boring part of being in a relationship. The bad part. The part that makes everything just not worth it. And while Bert is doing the fun part... Andrew and Bert both come to this belief and ask her which one of them she considers her boyfriend. Essentially, this episode argues that friendship with women are invalid and that if you hang out with a uh, a woman frequently, you should be sleeping with her.
0: These both seem like a failure of execution to me, however. The implication of the pilot definitely seems to be that Mike's wife was being unfaithful. Of course, this was terribly conveyed, and I understand that you're going by what the show is actually showing, but I think we should also be looking at the intent of the creators. And with episode 4, again, I think it's just a failure of execution. I think the point was to show that Andrew was being very boyfriendy with Candace. Of course, there was also the issue in this episode that made it seem like the only good thing about the relationship is sex. And this is obviously
2: very terrible. So I agree on the failure of execution matter. If you ask me the way the pilot set up Mike, they set him up as a punching bag to his friends and family. And he has to find his gumption, and at the end, when he stands up for himself, it strengthens his marriage. To me, that makes it seem like it was intended that Janet had this act of emotional infidelity, and that Mike needed to grow as a person there. Uh, The issue is, even though I believe this was the intention, this was the redemption idea, the fact that it didn't come across this way without a bit of a nitpicking has a troubling implication for the people behind the scenes who thought the audience would pick up on it like that. Uh, the episode 4 thing, uh, I won't try to defend because I really don't want to.
3: Yeah, no, the, the execution was quite awful, but for me, I think the worst part of episode 4 is that they assume that being friends with someone is not good and that the only good part of any relationship is the sex. And honestly... I just I hate that they're like, oh, yeah, being friends is hard and being friends is the worst part. And you just do it uh, type of thing so that you can get close to someone. That's really awful.
1: And it really made me sad. I mean, this came on right after The Big Bang Theory, a show infamous for sympathetic creeps. But you could have that show without the sexism. Not this. I'd argue that this kind of sexism and toxicity was integral to the overarching plot and message of this show. This is a story about Andrew learning masculinity, because masculinity is something naturally good that men should learn even if it doesn't come naturally to them. Bert teaches that becoming a man means taking charge, and taking charge over what? By process of elimination, it is taking charge over women, and it certainly manifests that way when Mike slaps Janet's friend. The story this show tells is of Andrew having to regain some natural masculinity this gentleman-obsessed man-child supposedly had after a woman stole it. As Bert says in the show's second episode, your ex-fiancee dumped you, ripped your heart out, and left you doubting your manhood on a level so primal you can't even see it. Sure, you can have a story about someone regaining their self-confidence after a divorce, but they chose this story to define masculinity, a story that says women are the enemy.
0: I do completely get what you're saying there, and I do almost feel like, because of everything you said, that the main characters were purposely portrayed as being terrible. Maybe this comes from looking at it from a modern point of view, but to me, the main characters were utterly unsympathetic, and were supposed to be.
2: See, the question with sympathy and lack of sympathy is whether or not it was the intention that they're not sympathetic or whether it is due to the way the show comes across, and especially due to the way that the show comes across in 2020, that we're not sympathetic. Personally, I'd compare the show to Two and a Half Men, where the audience was willing to excuse some of Charlie Sheen's characters' bad acts, because the show made it very clear that he isn't a good person and we should not be rooting for those acts. There's a similar thing with Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Uh, He's a womanizing, self-dubbed man's man, just like Bert, but he's cartoonish, so the audience is willing to forgive those elements. In Gentlemen, it's never clear whether we're meant to root for these characters, whether we're meant to aspire to the lessons they try to impart, or whether we're supposed to brush those off in the name of television comedy. In the end, I was just uncomfortable, because I couldn't just say, Like, oh, you rascal when Andrew and Bert do something because Andrew and Bert were not being rascals. They were just being bad people. (laughs)
3: So, on a lighter note, uh, let's talk about the comedy of show. What worked, what didn't? Of the
0: jokes that did work, I think Mike, the brother-in-law, worked the best because of his funny accent and his rather pathetically charming demeanor. Of the jokes that did work, I feel like a good amount of them came from him, and he was just such an interesting character who had that deadpan British-like comedy that I couldn't help not to love. There are also, like, two jokes in one episode that I really enjoyed, which was a rarity in the show. And my favorite from that episode was, uh, I think it was episode three, where Andrew and Bert were getting into an argument about Andrew not giving up his gentleman Since Andrew, ever the gentleman, was in front of
2: a door, whenever someone came to the door, he opened it up for them and was like, have a nice day. I know you liked Mike, but I did not like Mike. He seemed too out of place. The rest of the cast seemed grounded enough, but Mike was a bit too whimsical, a bit too fantastical he was sad and wacky and didn't really add anything his jokes most of them boil down to the idea that he's just this weird New Zealander he's just foreign enough to be exotic but not foreign enough to be intimidating to the audience and he has his jokes about in New Zealand if you have a secret you tell it to sheep and push the sheep off a cliff or the fact that in one episode, they make a joke about bird flu, which, side note, remember bird flu? Back in. So he talks about how his uh, roommate died of bird flu. His roommate, then he says, was a
3: bird. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, I don't like Mike. I Here's the thing about Mike. I thought Mike, I also agree, he was kind of, like, pathetically charming. I liked the way he met Janet, his wife. He made this really cute joke about, like, oh, he's a scientist. Oh, man, we're positively charged ions. I don't know. I thought that was cute, but I will agree. He did not fit the show. He was just there, and he was like, oh, he has a wacky accent, and he's wacky. And I don't know. It didn't really work. I
1: remember, though, laughing at a joke once. Yeah, none of the jokes worked for me at all. I I just... They were barely shells of jokes. Here's the thing. They were barely shells of jokes.
3: But I laughed once. Once in the entire once? show.
1: Di- uh, Diane,
3: the mother, was like, oh, man, Andrew, your ex fiancee she was like the daughter I never had. And she said that in front of her daughter. And I laughed for one second and was like, that was it. See, I feel like the writers kept trying to
2: cue up jokes in a very unnatural way. There are points where... I can't think of any specific examples because they were all just bizarrely set up where Andrew will say something offhand and then Bert will compare it to a specific celebrity who none of which I... Half of them I had to Google is the point I'm getting at. And then the characters would go on their mini-tangents, again, Mike talking about the bird flu, and these mini-tangents just broke the momentum of the conversation. Uh, It felt like the writers were trying to build to some big laughter and some big moment that never came. And they
3: tried to do that a lot, and also wrote really bad plots. <laughs> None of it worked. I, I literally, try, when writing this script, tried and think to think of a plot that actually worked, and we could not think of a single one,
1: at least for me. I think the overarching plot could have been successful with... Andrew's character development taking center stage. They could have talked about his self-confidence, how he could cope with his obsessiveness, and how he could improve himself and update his gentleman's standards for the modern age. But the sort of self-improvement the show advertised was not improvement. It was just becoming more of a horrible person.
0: Yeah, for me, the only episode that had a plot that actually worked in any conceivable way was episode three where Andrew goes to the wedding of his ex-fiancé. He, at first, didn't want to go to this to his ex-fiancé's wedding, because why would you? But Bert kind of forces him to go, and I think it it was a good way to show Andrew getting over his past relationship, but every other episode was just kind of awful.
2: Yeah, that episode worked, actually, because it had the continuous plot, the internal plot of Andrew's character development in that point, and the external plot of... Spoiler alert, uh, Andrew's ex-fiance's husband, they started dating when she was still engaged to Andrew. So there's that external plot of him realizing that and figuring that out, and his family trying to stop him from figuring that out because they know it will crush him. Other than that, not a single plot rose or developed or was resolved organically. It was that contrived.
1: I think it's okay that the plots were contrived. I mean, this show was about Bert pushing Andrew, so of course he was going to push him into the plots, it's just the plots were bad. Mm -hmm. Specifically, and when we say the plots are bad, one of the plots was called,
3: uh, well, the episode was called Draft Andrew, in which Bert pushes Andrew by sending dozens of strongly worded emails that Andrew wrote for therapeutic purposes, and sent them to all the recipients they were supposed to go to. And... After that happened, everyone got really like, oh, oh, I didn't know you thought of that and like changed their ways. And then things started falling apart and then they just stopped that plot. They didn't talk about it. They didn't resolve it. It just people were like, okay with it and then not okay with it. And then we stopped talking about Draft Andrew.
1: I think that this episode, they had a chance to go into authenticity and to really talk about what Andrew does to cope with his mind, But they didn't. They didn't acknowledge that he was obsessive. They didn't acknowledge that he had to deal with the frustration in his life. They just didn't.
0: And sometimes they said that Andrew had OCD, but they played it more as a joke, which is in stark contrast to how Abby's dealt with mental illness like OCD or, in Abby's case, anxiety.
2: And again, because of the show's shortened run, the characters lack that same depth. All of the characters were flat and static, whether they were a main character or one of the supporting cast or... God forbid one of the bit characters in for one episode.
3: Yeah, no, there were four major characters besides Andrew and Bert. Diane, Jerry, Mike, and Janet. None of them showed any considerable development. They somehow grew less than Andrew and Bert. Literally, Mike would learn a lesson, and then the next episode he'd be back to his regular self. Janet is a dry and apathetic person and stays that way, and then Mike and Jerry both enlist Bert's, like, gym training services but neither benefit from it and we don't really see anything more from it
0: that being said Andrew and Bert did show a little bit of growth throughout there are parts especially in the last few episodes where you could see Bert becoming more like the best parts of Andrew an example of this is Bert opening up to Andrew about his issues he had with his mother issues that were granted played as a joke he also had a point where he actually decided to try to have a relationship with a woman for the first time in I think Five years, he said. And you could also see Bert rubbing off on Andrew in that he became a lot more confident in himself than was seen at the beginning of the season.
3: And finally, almost every side character was a woman, and all of them were portrayed as incredibly flat and naive to the men. Literally, Bert could just say something, and everyone would be like, Oh, okay, I agree, and I am convinced by you. The only character
2: outside of the regular cast, the only bit character who was a man, was Bert's father. And honestly, he was flat too. He was just the machismo of Bert, but in a more paternal way, if that makes sense. And I think it's just so much more noticeable how flat the female side characters were because there were maybe a half dozen of them and they were all pretty much the same except for names and hair color.
1: Many of the female characters in the show seem defined by their womanhood. I mean, you have Janet, who's pretty much always portrayed as snide and controlling, the antagonist of most of her episodes, but she has depth because she sometimes gets sentimental and emotional, needing to be protected. The perfect stereotype of a housewife. Then again, I did love Diane, Andrew and Janet's mom. See, I don't know if
2: Janet was really any flatter than the other characters. I think she was, you know, a dry, closed-off person, but... A female character is allowed to be dry and closed off. Women can be dry and closed off. And she wasn't well written, but I don't know if it was necessarily because of that gendered dynamic.
0: I mean she wasn't well written, but neither was anyone
2: else. Neither was anyone else. I hate Mike. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, what did we take away from this show?
1: I think we could talk about the way that this show addresses masculinity.
0: Yeah, it's troubling that the show seems to equate self-confidence with masculinity. Andrew's identity crisis is caused by his fiance leaving him, and Bert believes that the only solution to
3: this is gym culture and casual sex. And then they equate masculinity with that casual sex. The idea that being a man was about getting laid and hitting on women. They do this again and again, and especially, and I know I've said it before, but in episode four, sharing a relationship, they showed that the most important part of being with a woman was having sex, and that somehow Bert was more of a man because he was the one having sex. And that's troubling.
2: In the episode with the shared relationship, that's when you really... That's when they really solidify the idea of Andrew and Bert as diametrically two sides of the same coin. Before, they had a different worldview, but that's the episode that really shows them as the two extremes. And you see those two extremes kind of start to approach the middle as the show goes on. In the last episode, Andrew decides he wants to be shallow for once, and he dates a woman just for her appearance the same episode, Bert has this recurring booty call that he wants to pursue a more meaningful relationship with. And at the end of the episode, when both pursuits fall apart, there's the comment that Andrew wants to be about 50% more like Bert, and Bert wants to be about 1% more like Andrew because he's, you know, narcissistic. So Bert's joke aside, it explicitly frames the two men as two unhealthy extreme lifestyles. And that and creates this implication that the ideal place to be is somewhere in the middle. Now, the issue is that this came up in the very last scene of the very last episode. And I don't think if this is a theme that it was throughout the entire season.
3: And honestly, it was perfectly portrayed uh, like throughout the season, like this sort of dynamic of, oh, man, we should make Andrew 50 percent more like Bert. And Bert can be oh maybe a, uh, learn a little bit from Andrew himself. My issue is that with this growth and with this like two extremes, the entire secondary cast, all the other major characters, never like really had any issues with Bert's personality. They all thought he was this macho man and that everything he said was good. And they always agreed with everything he said and told Andrew that, oh yeah, like Bert's right, you should be wanting to be with this one person or you should be doing this. And It was troubling how it tried to show someone as the ideal man.
2: And I think the idea of trying to find what the ideal man is, is a product of the time. This show was made in 2011, aired in 2011 and 2012. This is the immediate post-recession era. And I think it sort of embodies that crisis of consciousness in that time period. Because in that time period, you saw that sort of pursuit of status because a lot of other pursuits became a bit untenable for a while. Uh, Andrew's genteel nature in the show is based on this idea of status, and he doesn't benefit from it in any way other than perception. He prides himself on the status because it gives him that sort of identity and it gives him that sense of purpose that people lacked and people sought after in the immediate post-recession era.
0: Yeah, and going off those uh, recession elements, the immediate post-recession era was marked by the idea of recovery. You have to find your position in the aftermath of upheaval and turmoil. I think this show is in part about Andrew and to some extent Bert trying to settle themselves in this
3: area of recovery after the uncertainty and instability of the recession. So now let's go into the theme that connects the shows we've been exploring, Man versus World. The show begins with a short montage presenting Andrew as a superhero— Not a bird, not a plane, but a gentleman. One who holds doors and helps out everyone around him. In one conversation, he talks about how he feels like his world is falling apart. And the person he's talking to says, yeah, it is.
1: The show tries to present Andrew in a man-versus-world storyline despite that he represents virtues of the establishment. Telling people it's immoral not to wear ties isn't some outspoken thing. You know who still believes in most of the tenets of Andrew's gentleman code? Most people over 40. It's this fantasy of being the last rebel in an insane world when your views aren't really that abnormal. See, I would not say Andrew is that establishment figure just
2: because he dresses like a ship captain. Andrew's not a leader in society, he's equally disconnected from the people beneath him, such as from his perspective of Bert, as he is from the people above him, his editor Jerry, uh, the off-screen new boss of the magazine, Cody, and no point is the show trying to make an issue of a generational gap or a demographic gap. Jerry and Diane are older than Andrew and they face problems of displacement. Bert, Mike, and Janet are about the same age as Andrew, and they face similar problems. I think the crisis of consciousness is more about Andrew as a singularity, and not Andrew as the embodiment of a cross-section of this society.
3: Also, it just seems that the Man versus World storyline only goes so far. His issues stem from not knowing how to interact with the rest of the world, and him causing most of his own problems. I mean, does the Man versus World argument actually teach anything to the audience? I believe the show doesn't really go anywhere with it, and I would say no, it doesn't teach anything, and honestly, I just think they established it for no reason.
0: So, in summation, let's give our closing thoughts.
3: All right. Whenever I watched an episode of How to Be a Gentleman, I prepared myself to feel absolutely gross. The themes and situations the show portrays are not okay by any standards today. There were many scenes that made me think, yep, this was made by a bunch of men with very high school mentalities. Do yourself a favor. Don't watch it. It doesn't add anything and has no substance. Andrew once said... I feel like my whole world is falling apart. Me too, Andrew. Me too.
1: I hated pretty much every element of this show except for the elements that I was indifferent to. We didn't really talk about this, but I felt that even the sets were poorly designed, like they thought it would make them less manly if they decorated. Terrible humor, terrible characters, and terrible plots made a, guess what, terrible show. But remember, it was also very sexist. The show seemed to me like it was designed for the purpose of perpetuating sexism and toxic masculinity.
2: I think the show didn't know what its purpose was. I couldn't tell if I was supposed to root for the characters or not. I couldn't tell if I was supposed to praise or pity certain actions. And I couldn't tell if there was a single tone or sense of humor I was supposed to find in this show. So the fact that I had to qualify a lot of my feelings with, I think they meant for it to be like this is just not a good sign. I paid $5 for this masterclass in mindless pap, and when that royalty check reaches David Hornsby's mailbox, I don't want him to cash it. I want him to, like, use it as a bookmark in some cheap paperback that he ends up, like, forgetting on the bus. It was... oh wee.
0: This was, without a doubt, a bad show. The jokes rarely hit, and it had extraordinarily bad execution. I could see what the show was trying to go for, but it was not successful in any major way the only saving grace the show had for me was Mike. While the theme the show went for could have been a good theme, the show was brought down by so many other factors, such as bad writing, bad acting, and of course, the problematic elements. I wish I could say that the show was worth the time I spent watching it, but it simply was not. But hey, at least we watched it so our audience doesn't have to.
2: And that about does it. Thank you again for listening to One Season Wonder. Join us next time when we discuss the first and final season of The Great Indoors. For some reason,
1: these shows were cut short, these shows were cut.